Um, our psalm this morning is Psalm 20, uh, 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before, before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our second reading comes from Revelations chapter 7 and verses um, 9 to 17. After this, I looked, and there before me was a multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in the white robes, who are they? Where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the tri great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor scorch any heat, any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Well, friends, let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your word. We pray now that by your spirit that you would take your word and that you would inform our minds, teach us about yourself, teach us about your ways. And Father, that you would by your spirit be transforming our hearts, that we would be men and women who are conformed to the likeness of Christ. And we pray these things in his most precious name. Amen. Uh, the world can sometimes seem like a very shaky place, can't it? And I'm not talking about earthquakes, but uh, rather at times when what we thought uh, was normal is suddenly disrupted, uh, even shattered. Now, on the global scene, COVID-19 continues to do that for us. Uh, in fact, it's sort of become the, the new normal. Uh, and also, there's 
sometimes political instability, like the convulsions that we're seeing in the United States uh, this week, uh, which uh, shatters our uh, thinking and our security in what we thought was normal. But on a personal level, our own confidence and our own sense of being at peace can evaporate when we go through unexpected times of loss. For example, loss of health, that medical diagnosis that changes everything for us, or a loss of job and the income and security that that provides, or the loss of someone we love and the grief which uh, overwhelms our, our world. These are the issues which happen to ordinary people. They happen to people like you and like me. In fact, you only have to live long enough and you'll experience some of these kind of losses. And in, in fact, what it tells us is that it's not uh, just that the world is shaky, but that our world can sometimes be shaky, our world personally. And this is one of the reasons why the 23rd Psalm is arguably the most beloved of all of the Psalms. And not just by Christians, but by non-Christians as well. Because it's a psalm which is so often read or sung at funerals, chosen for the comfort that it brings to people whose lives have been shaken. And it's understandable, isn't it? For this is a very beautiful psalm. Now, the best poets, men and women who are able to express profound thoughts with uh, with fluid simplicity. And Psalm 23 is just like that, isn't it? Uh, it is written in poetic form. And, and as you can imagine, when a poem is translated from one language to another language, uh, the poetic beauty can sometimes be lost in the translation. But I don't think that's true with Psalm 23, is it? Uh, written in ancient Hebrew, its, its poetry still shines wonderfully in, in modern English. And yet poetry is not enough to comfort people and to strengthen vulnerable hearts. For the form of words is only as good as the content it expresses. And the content here, of course, is content about God and about us, about you and me. It's content where the relationship between God and us is expressed in, in two different ways. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you'd like to open up your Bibles at Psalm 23, uh, that will be helpful. Uh, in what ways is the relationship between God and us described? Well, first of all, in verses 1 to 4, the psalmist describes God as being a shepherd. Now, uh, in the Bible, in biblical times, this would have been imagery that would have instantly uh, been understandable for everybody because uh, their countryside was, uh, was, was uh, dotted with uh, flocks of sheep uh, being looked after by shepherds. Uh, 
But unlike other descriptions of God in the Bible, um, descriptions such as God as being a rock or God as being a deliverer or God as being a king, there is a difference here. The difference is that a shepherd lives with his flock. A shepherd lives with his sheep. And he does so for two reasons. Uh, to provide by leading them to sources of food and to protect by fending off hungry wolves. Now, in other Old Testament passages, God is described as being um, a shepherd, but he's described as being Israel's shepherd, and particularly as God provided for and protected Israel uh, when he brought them out of uh, their slavery in Egypt and when they wandered around in the desert. But if you can look at verse 1, it doesn't just say the Lord is Israel's shepherd. It doesn't even say the Lord is our shepherd. What does it say? It says the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. It's very personal, isn't it? And that is that the shepherd who lives with his flock is my shepherd. And therefore, obviously, I shall never be in want. And, and that should be enough, shouldn't it? I mean, if the psalm finished at verse 1, we should actually be satisfied. For if my shepherd, the, the one who lives with me, the one who protects me, the one who provides for me, if my shepherd is the one who is the creator of the universe then I actually don't need to know anything more, do I? That's enough. But of course there is more. As the psalmist describes the blessings of having the Lord as his shepherd. Pick it up at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, when I uh, think about my responsibility as a husband and a father, I see it as being a little bit like a shepherd uh, to provide for my family and to protect my family. Although I'd have to say that Andrew and Alyssa are old enough to look after themselves now and they're doing a reasonable job of that. Hello, Andrew and Alyssa, if you're watching online. Here we see the shepherd, I doubt that they would be by the way, but here we see the shepherd providing for the sheep. Now in Australia, how do we move sheep? How do we move a mob of sheep? Uh, dogs. Uh, we, we, we move them from behind, we, we set the dogs on them to snap at their feet as the, as the, uh, the, the farmer rides his quad or his uh, ute. Uh, but we, we, we move them from behind. But in the world of the psalmist, and indeed in the Middle East today, uh, sheep are moved from the front. That is, the shepherd would lead the sheep, and the sheep would not be harassed, but the sheep would follow. And what does the shepherd do when they arrive in green pastures? 
Well, he makes the sheep lie down, doesn't he? That is, I take it, he makes the sheep stop and to rest and to feed. And where does he lead them to? He leads them to quiet waters to quench their thirst, that they may be restored, that they may be refreshed. And so what is this saying about God and us? Is this saying that God provides for us materially, that he provides for our basic needs of food and water? Uh, well, yes, of course he does. But it's deeper than that. To restore my soul uh, usually means, in the Bible, to restore my life, <clears throat> to do so physically. And, and I guess that's like when you, you know, think about this in your own situation, when you've been working hard outdoors for a while, perhaps mowing the lawn or doing the gardens or whatever, and you've been working out in the sun and then someone hands you a bottle of cold water, that's like life, isn't it? You feel restored. It's beautiful. But in another psalm, and I'm talking about Psalm 19, the same words about restoration are used uh, not in respect to water, but in respect to God's word. Uh, listen to Psalm chapter 19, verse 7, which says that the law of the, law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? reviving my soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving my soul. And that is the sense here. Uh, for how is it that God uh, gives us life? How is it that God restores our soul? How does God satisfy our deepest need? Friends, without the life giving nourishment of God's word, we dry up and we wither and we die in our sins. I mean, we might look like we're doing fine until our world is shaken. But as shepherd, God guides us in paths of righteousness. Now, for a sheep, the right path uh, is simply any path that's going to lead to a green pasture. But when we follow God's path, when we follow God's word, we live in a way which brings honour to God's name. So that Christians will, uh, so non-Christians rather, will look at us and they will, uh, and they will, uh, will honour God, they will think well of God because of what they see in us. And this is what it means to be righteous, not for our name's sake, but rather for his name's sake. And as provider, the Lord, our shepherd, restores our souls, but he's also our protector. Have a look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, uh, shepherds in the Bible would carry two implements with them. Uh, one would be a rod, and that is like, a, uh, it's, it's a, more than just a stick, it's more like a club, uh, which they would attach to their belts and use in order to fend off hungry predators. 
The other implement was a staff, and, and that's, a, that's a long stick, uh, like a walking stick, but it, it's, it's got a hook on one end of it, uh, and they would use the staff in order to guide the sheep and in order to control the sheep. Because sometimes the sheep will have to pass through wolf-infested territory, the valley of the shadow of death. And that's not necessarily the wrong path. It's not the wrong path if it leads to the right, uh, uh, to the right destination, if it leads to green pastures. It can be the right path. Despite the threat of death, it can be okay because these sheep have a shepherd, a good shepherd, who is equipped with his rod and staff and a good shepherd who is willing to defend the sheep. And there's great comfort in that, great comfort. So why is the 23rd Psalm so much loved at funerals? I mean, when we're at a funeral by the very nature of the event, someone has died. They're actually dead. I mean, God, uh, some might argue, has obviously not protected them from accident or from illness or from old age. But that's because we misunderstand the nature of death. In Matthew chapter 4, after Jesus, remember when Jesus was himself out in the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan for uh, 40 days? Well, after he had withstood that temptation from Satan, he preached, and he preached from the book of Isaiah about himself. And listen to what he said. Uh, he said from the book of Isaiah that, and I quote, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Sound familiar, doesn't it? The land of the shadow of death. Who are the people who are living in the land of the shadow of death? Well, in Matthew chapter 4, it's the Gentiles. It's those who do not know God, who have not received the revelation of God's word. For without God and without his revelation to us through his word, our physical death leads to another death, and that is eternal death. And that doesn't mean annihilation. It doesn't mean that after we die that we uh, cease to exist, that we go back to nothingness. Rather, eternal death means to be cut off from God and to be cut off from all of his goodness forever. Uh, we call that hell, don't we? And, of course, there are some people who say, well, I don't really think that hell will be such a bad place. I'm, I mean, all my mates will be there in hell, and yet, well, they may well be in hell with you, but there'll be no such thing as mateship. They won't be your mates there. Because mateship, friendship, love, uh, that is a good gift from God. And hell is where God is not. None of his good gifts are in hell. Now, the Bible describes sin as being like when a sheep decides to, to ditch the shepherd and to, uh, and to go astray. 
to go off uh, by himself or herself. That's the nature of sin. It's when we, we don't want God to be our shepherd because we think that, well, God actually doesn't know what's good, uh, that we know what's best for us, that we know better than him. Uh, and we suspect that the grass is actually greener somewhere else, that life will somehow be better, that life will somehow be more enjoyable, more satisfying, more if we live our lives our way uh, without the shepherd. And that's sin. And our enemy salivates. For Satan knows that our sin must attract the judgment of God. Now, recently we looked at the Gospel of John, didn't we? Do you remember but there was a wonderful passage in John chapter 10? And uh, in John chapter 10, it's, it's about a shepherd, isn't it? Uh, in John chapter 10, what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. There's great comfort in that, isn't there? But a shepherd is not the only image of God that we see in Psalm 23. Uh, will you look with me at verses 5 and 6? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So how does the psalmist portray God in his relationship with us in these verses? Well, he, he kind of he switches from the, um, the metaphor of shepherd, you know, leading us into green pastures on which to feed. He switches from that metaphor to that of a host who is also prepared for us to feed, but this time he's laid out a banquet for us. He's prepared a table and so here we see that the, the table is set. Uh, the oil, which in the Middle East would be uh, offered to a guest to uh, apply to their, to, their, to their face, to freshen them up, uh, well, that has been provided. And the wine is flowing in abundance. This is, a gener is generous hospitality. And it's also a picture of victory. For the enemies of God's people are defeated, they are humiliated, and they actually watch on in helplessness as the psalmist feasts at the banquet table. They watch on in helplessness just like Satan, who has lost his grip over us when Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, as a pastor, I sometimes uh, have the opportunity uh, and the privilege of speaking with people who are about to die and, uh, and are still lucid. They can still, they're not in comas, we can still talk, and they know that they're, uh, that they're on their deathbed. And it's interesting just to think about those conversations and, and the interaction. Because some of the time, they don't want to think 
about what's going to happen next. There's sort of like a, there's there's a barrier. I even spoke to a, a, a man many years ago who was a leader in our church here, who I don't think knew the Lord, and uh, when I he was about to die, and I asked him, I said, let's talk about heaven. He said, oh, I don't want to talk. Let's talk about something different. How sad. And then there are others who on their deathbeds are frightened. A man said to me, I, I, I'm scared of what is about to happen as he reflected on some of the things that he'd done in his life. I told him, you've got good reason to be scared. Now let me tell you about the Saviour. And he died peacefully, in peace with his God. And there are some who have no fear of death, but they actually just exude exude joy because they know the good shepherd. They know the one who laid down his life for their sins. I've told you this before, but there was uh, at one point, there was a, a group of about three or four elderly ladies in this church here, and uh, they were all passing around this book that they were reading. And I I asked them about it. What is it, the book that you're reading? They said, it's a book which is all about heaven. And uh, they said to me, we're, we're all reading it because we're all getting close. <laughs> and we are really looking forward to it. Those of you who knew Betty Carter would be able to appreciate um, that conversation that I had with her as one of those ladies. No fear of death. And if you trust in Jesus, you can live your life now not looking for greener pastures elsewhere, as if somehow that's going to satisfy you, but having that peace and that confidence because you trust in the shepherd. Now, earlier on we read from Revelation chapter 7, which, which is a vision about the future. Uh, where a great multitude of men and women, men and women of every nation, men and women of every race, men and women of every language and of every age are gathered together around the heavenly throne. Men and women who, through the dark valleys and the great tribulations of life, have just kept on following the Lord. And uh, one of the uh, elders in Revelation chapter 7 says, well, who are these people? And uh, this is how they are described. This is what it says about them. It says, never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst, for the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and here's one I like, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It resonates with Psalm 23, doesn't it? It sounds like Psalm 23 is the fulfillment of Psalm 23, where the psalmist concludes, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. 
forever. Forever. Now, before I became a Christian, I became a Christian when I was about 19. Before I became a Christian, I didn't go to church. Well, at least I stopped going to church when I was about six years old and didn't go from there on in. But like a lot of people, I actually knew Psalm 23. I wasn't a Christian, but I knew Psalm 23. In the King James Version, put up your hand if you know Psalm 23 in the King James Version. You know how it goes, that, love that line, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, and thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It's embedded in the brain. I, I know it. I learned that before I became a Christian because I've never used the King James Version. It's one thing to know and love the poetry of Psalm 23. But the question is, do you know and love the shepherd of Psalm 23? So that no matter what happens in life, no matter how shaky our world, even your world, becomes, no matter what loss you may experience, what trials, what tribulations, you can face life with confidence and with joy and with contentment because you're able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your loving kindness to us, for the way that in the Good Shepherd Jesus that you provide for us, that you provide for the salvation uh, that we do not deserve, that you provide that great heavenly banquet that we can look forward to. We thank you, Father, that you have protected us from the wiles of the evil one, that Jesus was indeed the good shepherd who laid down his life for our sins, that you have protected us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would not be men and women who uh, think that the grass must be greener somewhere else and that we, like sheep, just go astray and, uh, and that we seek after satisfaction and fulfilment in the things of this world. But help us, Lord God, no matter what life brings to us, to continue to follow the shepherd and that we would bring glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.